0: (coughs) Mr Lockwood, (coughs) there, there, drink up. I've brought you supper. Oh, thank you, Ellen. Would you care to take a seat? You have lived here a considerable time. Did you not say 16 years? 18, sir. I came when the mistress was married to wait on her. After she died, the master retained me for his housekeeper. You've seen a good many alterations, I suppose. I have, and troubles too. Well, Mrs. Dean, it would be a
1: charitable deed to tell me something of my neighbours. I feel I shall not rest if I go to bed, so
0: be good enough to sit and chat an hour. Oh, certainly, sir. I'll just fetch a little sewing, and then I'll sit as long as you please. Let me see. One fine summer morning, it was the beginning of harvest, I remember, Mr. Earnshaw, the old master, came downstairs dressed for a journey. It seemed a long while for us all, the three days of his absence. Mrs. Earnshaw expected him by supper time on the third evening, and she put the meal off hour after hour. Then, just about eleven o'clock, the door latch was raised quietly, and in stepped the master. He threw himself into a chair, laughing and groaning. We crowded round, and over Miss Cathy's head I had a peep at a dirty, ragged, black-haired child, big enough both to walk and talk, yet when it was set on its feet, it only stared round and repeated over and over again some gibberish that nobody could understand. I was frightened, and Mrs Earnshaw was ready to fling it out of doors.' The master tried to explain the matter, but all that I could make out was a tale of his seeing it starving and houseless and as good as dumb in the streets of Liverpool. Mr. Earnshaw told me to wash it and give it clean things, and let it sleep with the children. Hindley and Cathy entirely refused to have it in bed with them, or even in their room, and I had no more sense. So I put it on the landing of the stairs, hoping it might be gone on the morrow. This was Heathcliff's first introduction to the family. In the course of time, old Mr Earnshaw began to fail. His health suddenly declined and he grew grievously irritable. Hindley, who had been sent away to university, came home to the funeral, and he brought a wife with him. He was altered considerably in the three years of his absence. He had grown sparer and lost his colour, and spoke and dressed quite differently and on the day of his return Hindley told Joseph and me we must thenceforth quarter ourselves in the back kitchen and leave the house for him. Heathcliff was deprived of the instructions of the curate and told to labour out of doors instead. Heathcliff bore his degradation pretty well at first because Cathy taught him what she learnt and worked or played with him in the fields. They both promised to grow up as rude as savages, It was one of their chief amusements to run away to the moors in the morning and remain there all day. One Sunday afternoon, it chanced that they were banished from the sitting room for making a noise or a light offence of the kind. And when I went to call them to supper, I could discover them nowhere. The household went to bed, and I, too anxious to lie down, opened my lattice and put my head out to hearken. In a while, I distinguished steps coming up the road and the light of a lantern glimmered through the gate. There was Heathcliff, by himself. It gave me a start to see him alone. I hope?
2: At Thrushcross Grange. And I would have been there too. But they had not the manners to ask me to stay.
0: Well, you will catch it. You'll never be content till you're sent about your business. What in the world led you wandering to Thrushcross Grange?
2: Let me get my wet clothes off and I'll tell you all about it, Nelly. Cathy and I escaped from the wash house to have a ramble at liberty. And getting a glimpse of the Grange lights, we thought we would just go and see whether the Lintons passed their Sunday evenings standing shivering in corners, while their father and mother sat eating and drinking and singing and laughing and burning their eyes out before the fire. Do you think they do?
0: Probably not. They are good children, no doubt, and don't deserve the treatment you receive for your bad conduct.
2: Don't, can't, Nelly. Nonsense! We ran from the top of the heights to the park, without stopping. Catherine completely beaten in the race because she was barefoot. You'll have to seek for her shoes in the bog tomorrow. We crept through a broken hedge, groped our way up the path and planted ourselves on a flower pot under the drawing room window. The light came from thence. They had not put up the shutters and the curtains were only half closed. Both of us were able to look in by standing on the basement and we saw... It was beautiful! A splendid place, carpeted with crimson and crimson-covered chairs and tables and a pure white ceiling bordered by gold. Old Mr and Mrs Linton were not there. Edgar and his sister had it entirely to themselves. Shouldn't they have been happy? We should have thought ourselves in heaven. And now, guess what your good children were doing? Isabella lay screaming at the farther end of the room, shrieking as if witches were running red-hot needles into her. Edgar stood on the hearth weeping silently, and in the middle of the table sat a little dog, shaking its paw and yelping, which, from their mutual accusations, we understood they had nearly pulled in two between them. (laughs) The idiots! That was their pleasure, to quarrel who should hold a heap of warm hair. We laughed outright at the petted things. We did despise them. When would you catch me wishing to have what Catherine wanted?' Or find us, by ourselves, seeking entertainment and yelling and sobbing. I'd not exchange, for a thousand lives, my condition here, for Edgar Linton's at Thrushcross Grange. Not if I might have the privilege of flinging Joseph off the highest gable and painting the housefront with Hindley's blood.
0: Hush, hush. Still, you have not told me, Heathcliff, how Catherine is left behind.
2: I told you, we laughed. The Lintons heard us, and with one accord they shot like arrows to the door. There was silence, and then a cry.
1: Oh, Mama, Mama! Oh, Papa, oh, Mama, come here! Oh, Papa, oh! They
2: really did howl out something in that way. We made frightful noises to terrify them still more. And then we dropped off the ledge, because someone was drawing the bars, and we had felt we'd better flee. I had Cathy by the hand and was urging her on, when all at once she fell down.
1: Who let the bulldog loose and he holds
2: me? The devil had seized her ankle, Nelly. I heard his abominable snorting. She did not yell out, No, I did. Though. I vociferated curses enough to annihilate any fiending Christendom, And I got a stone and thrust it between his jaws and tried with all my might to cram it down his throat. A beast of a servant came up with a lantern at last, shouting, Keep fast, Skulker, keep fast! He changed his note, however, when he saw Skulker's game. The dog was throttled off, his huge purple tongue hanging half a foot out of his mouth, and his pendant lips streaming with bloody slaver. The man took Cathy up. She was sick. Not from fear, I'm certain, but from pain. He carried her in. I followed, grumbling execrations and vengeance. Skulker's caught a little girl, sir, and there's a laddie who looks an outer and outer very like the robbers were for putting them through the window to open the doors to the gang after all were asleep, that they might murder us at their ease. Hold your tongue, you foul-mouth thief, You, you shall go to the gallows for this. Mr Linton, sir, don't lay by your gun. He pulled me under the chandelier before the family. Mr Linton scowled and Mrs Linton raised her hands in horror. The cowardly children crept nearer also, Isabella hissing.
1: Frightful thing! Put him in the cellar, papa! He's exactly like the son of the fortune teller that stole my tame pheasant. Isn't he, Edgar?
2: While they examined me, Cathy came round. She heard the last speech and laughed. Edgar Linton, after an inquisitive stare, collected sufficient wit to recognise her. They see us at church, you know, though we seldom meet them elsewhere.
1: That's Miss Earnshaw. Look how Skulker has been her. How her foot bleeds. Miss Earnshaw? Mr. Earnshaw scouring the country with a gypsy.
2: I recommenced cursing. Don't be angry, Nelly. And so Robert was ordered to take me off. I refused to go without Cathy. He dragged me into the garden, pushed the lantern into my hand, assured me that Mr. Earnshaw should be informed of my behaviour, and, bidding me march directly, secured the door again. The curtains were still looped up at one corner, and I resumed my station as a spy. Because if Catherine had wished to return, I intended shattering their great glass panes to a million of fragments, unless they let her out. The woman servant brought a basin of warm water and washed her feet, and Mr Linton mixed a tumbler of Negus, and Isabella emptied a plateful of cakes into her lap, and Edgar stood gaping at a distance. Afterwards, they dried and combed her beautiful hair, and gave her a pair of enormous slippers, and wheeled her to the fire, and... I left her, as merry as she could be. I saw the Lintons were so full of stupid admiration. Oh, she is so immeasurably superior to them, to everybody on earth, is she not, Nelly?
0: More will come of this business than you reckon on. You are incurable, Heathcliff, and Mr. Hindley will have to proceed to extremities. See if he won't. My words came truer than I desired. The luckless adventure made Earnshaw furious. And then Mr. Linton, to Mem Matters, paid us a visit himself on the morrow, and read the young master such a lecture on the road he guided his family that he was stirred to look about him in earnest. Heathcliff received no flogging, but he was told that the first word he spoke to Miss Catherine should ensure a dismissal, and Mrs. Earnshaw undertook to keep her sister-in-law in due restraint when she returned home, employing art, not force, With force, she would have found it impossible.
1: Why, Cathy, you're quite a beauty. I should scarcely have known you. You look like a lady now. Isabella Linton's not to be compared with her, is
0: she, Francis? Isabella has not her natural advantages, but she must mind and not grow wild again here. Ellen, help Miss Catherine off with her things. Stay, dear, you'll disarrange your curls. Let me untie your hat.
1: Heathcliff, you may come forward. You may come and wish Miss Catherine welcome like the other servants. Why? How very black and cross you look, and how how funny and grim. But that's because I'm used to Edgar and Isabella Linton. Well, Heathcliff, have you forgotten me? Shake hands, Heathcliff, once in a way that is permitted.
2: I shall not. I shall not stand to be laughed at. I shall not bear it. Let go of me.
1: I did not mean to laugh at you. I could not hinder myself. Heathcliff, shake hands at least. What are you sulky for? It was only that you looked odd. If you wash your face and brush your hair, it will be all right. But you are so dirty.
2: You needn't have touched me. I shall be as dirty as I please. when I like to be dirty. And I will be dirty.
0: He dashed head foremost out of the room. Then I made the house and kitchen chiefly befitting Christmas Eve. Eventually, I found Heathcliff smoothing the glossy coat of a new pony in the stable. Make haste, Heathcliff. The kitchen is so comfortable and Joseph is upstairs. Make haste and let me dress you smart before Miss Cathy comes out, and then you can sit together with the whole hearth to yourselves and have a long chatter till bedtime. Come, are you coming? There's a little cake for each of you, nearly enough, and you'll need half an hour's donning. In the morning, he rose early, and as it was a holiday, carried his ill humour onto the moors, not reappearing till the family were departed for church fasting and reflection seem to have brought him to a better spirit.
2: Nelly, make me decent. I'm going to be good.
0: High time, Heathcliff. You have grieved Catherine. She's sorry she ever came home, I dare say. It looks as if you envied her because she is more thought of than you.
2: Did she say she was grieved?
0: She cried when I told her you were off again this morning.
2: Well, I cried last night, and I had more reason to cry than she.
0: Yes, you had the reason of going to bed with a proud heart and an empty stomach. Proud people breathe sad sorrows for themselves. But if you must be ashamed of your touchiness, you must ask pardon, mind, when she comes in. You must go up and offer to kiss her, and say, you know best what to say. Only do it heartily, and not as if you thought her converted into a stranger by her grand dress. And now, though I have dinner to get ready, I'll steal time to arrange you so that Edgar Linton shall look quite a doll beside you. And that he does. You are younger, and yet I'll be bound. You are taller and twice as broad across the shoulders. You could knock him down in a twinkling. Don't you feel that you could? But,
2: Nelly, if I knocked him down twenty times, that wouldn't make him less handsome. Or me more so. I wish I had light hair and fair skin and was dressed and behaved as well, and had a chance of being as rich as he will be.
0: And cried for mamma at every turn, and trembled if a country lad heaved his fist against you, and sat at home all day for a shower of rain. Oh, Heathcliff, you are showing a poor spirit. Come to the glass, and I'll let you see what you should wish. Do you mark those two lines between your eyes, and those thick brows that instead of rising arched sink in the middle? Wish and learn to smooth away the surly wrinkles, to raise your lids frankly and change those fiendish brows to confident, innocent angels, suspecting and doubting nothing and always seeing friends where there are not sure of foes. Don't get the expression of a vicious cur that appears to know the kicks it gets are its dessert, and yet hates all the world for what it suffers.
2: In other words, I must wish for Edgar Linton's great blue eyes and even forehead. I do, and that won't help me to, them.
0: A good heart will help you to a bonny face. And now that we've done washing and combing and sulking, tell me whether you don't think yourself rather handsome? I'll tell you, I do. You're fit for a prince in disguise. Who knows, but your father was emperor of China and your mother an Indian queen, each of them able to buy up with one week's income, Wuthering Heights and Thrushcross Grange together and you were kidnapped by wicked sailors and brought to England. Were I in your place, I would frame high notions of my birth, and the thoughts of what I was should give me courage and dignity to support the oppressions of a little farmer. So I chatted on, and Heathcliff gradually lost his frown and began to look quite pleasant, when all at once our conversation was interrupted by a rumbling sound moving up the road and entering the court. That must be the Lintons!
1: Keep the fellow out the room. Send him into the garret till dinner's over. He'll be cramming his fingers in the tarts and stealing the fruit if left alone with them for a minute.
0: Nay, sir. He'll touch nothing, not he. And I suppose he must have his share of the dainties as well as we.
1: He shall have his share of my hand if I catch him downstairs till dark. Be gone, you vagabond. What, you're attempting the coxcomb, I you? Wait till I get hold of those elegant locks. See if I won't pull them a bit longer. They are long enough already.
0: Wonder they don't make his head ache. It's like a colt's mane over his eyes. Heathcliff's violent nature was not prepared to endure the appearance of impertinence from Edgar Linton, whom he seemed to hate even then as a rival. He seized a tureen of hot apple sauce, the first thing that came under his grip, and dashed it full against the speaker's face and neck. Mr Earnshaw snatched up the culprit directly and conveyed him to his chamber. I got the dishcloth, and rather spitefully scrubbed Edgar's nose and mouth, affirming it served him right for meddling. His sister began weeping to go home, and Cathy stood by, confounded, blushing for all.
1: You should not have spoken to him, Edgar. He was in a bad temper, and now you've spoilt visit, it, and he'll be flogged. I hate him to be flogged. I can't eat my dinner. Why did you speak to him, Edgar? I didn't. I promised Mama that I wouldn't say one word to him, and I didn't. Well, don't cry. You're not killed. Don't make more mischief. My brother is coming. Be quiet. Hush, Isabella. Has anybody hurt you? There, there, children, to your seats. That brute of a lad has warmed me nicely. Next time, Master Edgar, take the law into your own fists. It'll give you an appetite.
0: The little party recovered its equanimity at the sight of the fragrant feast, They were hungry after their ride, and easily consoled, since no real harm had befallen them. In the evening, we had a dance. We got rid of all gloom in the excitement of the exercise, and our pleasure was increased by the arrival of the Gimmerton Band, mustering fifteen strong. Amongst the excitement, Catherine and I were able to slip away. She called for Heathcliff at the top of the stairs. He stubbornly declined answering. Eventually, he responded, and I left the two alone. When she did come, Heathcliff came with her, and she insisted that I should take him into the kitchen. He went down. I set him a stool by the fire and offered him a quantity of good things.
2: I'm trying to settle how I shall pay Hindley back. I don't care how long I wait. If I can only do it at last, I hope he will not die before I do.
0: For shame, Heathcliff. It is for God to punish wicked people. We should learn to forgive.
2: No, God won't have the satisfaction that I shall. I only wish I knew the best way. Let me alone, and I'll plan it out. While I'm thinking of that, I don't feel pain.
0: Oh, I forget these tales cannot divert you, Mr Lockwood. I'm annoyed how I should dream of chattering on at such a rate, and your gruel cold, and you nodding for bed. I could have told Heathcliff's history all that you would need here in half a dozen words. If I am to follow my story in true gossip's fashion, I had better go on. And instead of leaping three years, I will be content to pass to the next summer, the summer of 1778, that is nearly 23 years ago.